I went to a marvelous party. Christopher, this is only going to work if we speak one at a time. Fine, you first, Eric. From the Sunset Strip in beautiful West Hollywood, California, it's The Dinner Party Show, the Internet's first live comedy variety show, with your hosts, New York Times best-selling authors, Christopher Rice. Actually, there's a new study that confirms every other child you see on the street is a ghost. <laughs> and Eric Shaw Quinn. I don't want to talk too much, but... Okay. No, no, no. We're going to no. take up a collection for the stained glass window. Now we want the dirt. Featuring reports from their largely unqualified staff of special correspondents. Sex is like Christmas. It's the not knowing what you're going to get that makes it exciting. New York is a giant trash island infested by has-been theater queens. If we're really serious about cutting federal spending, the biggest waste of public funds I can think of is Congress. Two snaps for Jesus! The Dinner Party Show. Everyone gets served. Tonight's live cast is streaming to you live and for free through thedinnerpartyshow.com and our free mobile app. And now, direct from the kitchen by way of the... Get out of my office! It's your hosts, Christopher and Eric! Good evening, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and you're listening to the live cast of The Dinner Party Show for June 29th, 2014. Tonight, we have no comment on the Speaker of the House, John Boehner's plans to sue President Obama for not doing what John thinks the president should do. And despite the fact that John has actually set and broken a number of records for doing nothing. Nothing. John, hon... It's two terms. Have a good cry and move on. We need to get back to actually running the country. We at the Dinner Party Show have only two words to say to you, Speaker Boehner. Countersuit. Think about it. We certainly are. Also not being discussed tonight, British Petroleum's assertion that it was overcharged <gasps> by business owners who brought claims against it for destroying their livelihoods. Hey, BP, guess what? You are not a senior citizen living on a fixed income who needs to split hairs over the bill at Soup Plantation. You're one of the most profitable companies in the world, and if you think you might have been a little overcharged for creating one of the worst environmental disasters in history, mm -hmm. maybe you should just call it a loss and call Call it a day. We know plenty of people along the Gulf Coast who had to do exactly the same. At least. Well, we here at the Dinner Party Show were shocked and oh, saddened mm. to hear of the recent and unexpected departure of most of the cast of ABC's The View. We're not sure what happened or why they fired pretty much everyone on the show. <laughs> everyone. But we will say that we know of Two opinionated chat show hosts mm. who have a lot of experience sitting around a table shooting off their mouths. Mm -hmm. So, in response to this tragedy, our deepest sympathy 
And our sample reels and resumes are available upon request. Totes. Anyway, we're not talking about the fact that there's a good chance the Supreme Court may rule this week to allow businesses to ignore certain laws on the basis of personal religious beliefs. What could go wrong? We're not usually one for slippery slope arguments here on The Dinner Party Show, but to all the people who fret that gay marriage may result in father-son marriage or mother-goat marriage, we just like to point out that allowing people to ignore the law on the basis of personal religious belief may well generate a market for new and incredibly convenient religions. You think? So, police officers of America, unless you're ready to have every speeding motorist tell you he was doing 85 in a school zone because the god of Zarmuthian told him to, you might want to file some briefs with the Supreme Court before this one goes down. (sighs) Well, what we don't know about soccer here at the Dinner Party Show is a lot. It's a whole lot. And while we are aware that huge numbers of Americans are pretending to be fans, just like they do every time there's a World Cup... Because who doesn't want an excuse to blow off work in the summertime? No, right. We don't feel comfortable commenting on this wonderful worldwide celebration or making predictions about the joyful (laughs) success that the U.S. team is experiencing, except to say, Hey, Fox, you grouchy old curmudgeons, if you don't like soccer... Change the fucking channel. That's what we do whenever you're on. Meanwhile, isn't there someone playing on your lawn? You should turn the hose on them, you miserable old fucks, before they find them. They go out and have some fun, Grandpa Crazy Fox. We're glad that miserable old jerks like yourselves have an echo chamber where they can go to complain to each other about the rest of us enjoying our lives or having lives. Mm-hmm. Here's the deal. You watch your channel and we'll watch all the other ones. As for everything else, it's still on the table on tonight's live cast of the Dinner Party Show. <laughs> You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Enjoy the hors d'oeuvres, but don't fill up. There's plenty more to come. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. Are you all right there, Eric Shaw Quinn? I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'm trying to figure out how to work my Kindle app. Are you? Are you? Well, how nice. Well, listen, we're starting off tonight's Dinner Party Show with a very important thing that I'm reaching for, which is pulling my mouth away from the microphone. And this is called Christopher Tries to Make It a Good Thing that he's waited a month to give Eric a gift that a listener sent to his house with a joint card for both of them. This is a book of Rand Valeron's artwork. Oh, I love We love Rand Valeron. He does all sorts of great Photoshop stuff. Right. Here is an Easter bunny, which sort of dates the gift that lets you know when I got it. Rand actually sent me an Easter bunny? A chocolate. Chocolate Easter bunny that has been in my fridge for about three months. So I don't actually know if you want to eat that. <laughs> well, and the card, which was on the carpet. That's why we had a little minute of dead air there. So, Ran, um, you'll forgive me for being a little late on the thank yous, but this is so sweet. Happy Easter. Thank you, Ran Valeron. We love all the stuff you do for the show. Okay, we have Marsha Clark is joining us tonight. She's been one of our premier party people. She's been with us how many times? You actually counted up. I think it's three. I think this is her This is her three-peat. So I think she and Anne and Alec are now tied for our most frequent uh, guests of honor. Who's Anne? Anne who? Uh, Anne Rice. She oh, wrote that vampire book. She right. was on one of our earlier shows. She was on when earlier when we really just couldn't get anyone. That's right. We were just looking for a seat filler. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding, Mom. I love my mom. 
Uh, so we also have the other part of my interview with Terry Hayes, who wrote a thriller called I Am Pilgrim that just got a rave review in the New York Times this past week. Do we have anything from it? Does he talk about the, the remake of Mad Max? Uh, yes, actually. No, he does not. But it, oh. thank you for well, teasing I'm something so that's not in the that, interview. So glad I brought that up live on the air. He does talk. Terry Hayes is known to many as the screenwriter of many uh, Australian films like Dead Calm, which launched Nicole Kidman's career, and Mad Max, which launched both director George Miller and Mel Gibson, the star. But the most important thing that's happening tonight is that after a wait that I completely manufactured on Facebook and social media and Twitter and whatnot, I am announcing the publication date, the publisher, and I am forcing Eric to read the plot synopsis of my next supernatural thriller, thriller, excuse me, thriller, The Vines. It will be released on October 21st by 47 North, which is a division. It is the sci-fi and horror imprint of Amazon Publishing. So Amazon is actually publishing my book on October 21st. So that should be exciting. And now, Eric Shaw Quinn, I told everyone on Facebook you would read the plot synopsis in your best Carol Channing voice, but if you don't have it in you, you can just read it as Eric. Well, we, he's we actually good tried earlier, and we decided my best Carol Channing voice was really just Fitzpatrick. It, so, it really was. So Jordan Ampersand's best friend, Fitzpatrick. I'm just going to go with my best Eric Shaw Quinn voice. All right. Which we, I think, which will actually play when you open the cover of the book. Absolutely. <laughs> would that be horrifying? That's great. You read the plot synopsis, I'm going to go to the bathroom. All right, then. Don't want to embarrass you. <clears throat> Lurking in the soil of a storied antebellum mansion, a sinister force is awakened when a wealthy heiress discovers her husband's betrayal. Ooh, that sounds good. The oh. dark antebellum <laughs> mystery of Spring House, a beautifully restored plantation house on the outskirts of New Orleans, has largely been swept aside by its elegant new iteration. Girl. But sometimes... Something. This is something. I'm sorry. I didn't write the plot synopsis. I wrote the book. You didn't tell me you were going to heckle me. (laughs) It sounds like a great book. But something sinister lurks beneath the soil of the old mansion. When heiress and current owner of Springhouse, Caitlin Chasson, is witness to her husband's stunning betrayal at her birthday party, she tries to take her own life in the mansion's cherished gazebo. Instead, the blood she spills awakens dark forces in the ground below. Chaos ensues, and by morning, her husband has vanished without a trace, and his mistress has gone mad. Mad girl. Nova, daughter to Springs House's groundskeeper, has always suspected that something malevolent haunts the old place. Mm -hmm. And in the aftermath of the birthday party, she enlists Caitlin's estranged best friend, Blake, to help her get to the bottom of it. The pair soon realizes that the vengeance enacted by his sinister and otherworldly force comes at a terrible price. Well, that plot synopsis is a lot longer than it looks on paper. I'm sorry for making you read it all, but that's really what the show is about. I'll have to read your plot synopsis at some point soon. So anyway, this has been the snarkiest announcement of a publication ever I in history. I swear to God. Okay. The pre-order link is live on Amazon. We don't have the cover art up yet because we haven't designed the cover. But if you go to Amazon, I think Shea Butters is posting the link right now on our Facebook page. But if you go to Amazon and search for The Vines by Christopher Rice, it should come up. And you can pre-order a copy. But I do want to say we will be giving away a lot of advance copies to our party people, So, particularly over the course of the summer. We're going to do... Uh, we're going on a bit of a hiatus here, and we're going to do a Flash giveaway series on Facebook, and the winners of those contests are going to win advanced copies of the Vines. But don't wait. 
Go to the link and advance order the vines <laughs> oh, right. now. Well, only 25 people can ostensibly win those advanced copies this you summer. You can give the copy you order Absolutely. away as a present. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So, Eric, as someone who has read the vines, do you think it's any good? Well, what I can say with absolute certainty is that there aren't. there's no horrifying snake scene. All you care about is whether or not there's a scary snake scene in the, in the book. There is no there, my last book The Heaven's Rise had a very scary snake scene. I do want to add. I fainted dead away in 3rd grade when they brought in a snake in a jar of formaldehyde. Which I was just passed really sad right because out. that snake had a lesson to teach you and it could have been a very moving children's story, but you I were just, dead of what snakes are terrifying. You were unconscious when it was when it had I nearly lesson. choked to death on on Friday when a guest at my house was telling a snake story. California is crawling with snakes. Ugh. It is. It just is. Every every five minutes, somebody is posting a picture of a snake on a Runyon Canyon hiking trail. Listen, we're getting off point. Uh, the vines does not have any snakes in it, but as I have told you, it has vines that sort of act in snake-like ways. It's like, stay away from well, the vines. Well, vines man. have a snake-like quality to them, but... yeah. It's really, actually, I think it's a really wonderful book. I think it has the... So you have read it, have you? I think it has the... Um, Yes, obviously. <laughs> it has the, you know, the, the horror elements. It's a great horror book, but it has a certain allegorical symbology to it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's a great subtext that the story has to tell, a story that the story tells, even as you're enjoying the, the twists and turns and the fun and the chills of a, of a horror novel. So, yeah, well, I think it's really you. great. I think it's very mature. I think it's very well written. Um, yeah, surprising from a big baby like you. I know. I'm a just a giant baby. I, hey, I'm a baby. I, I get to be a baby at 36. There's got to be an advantage here somewhere. I can see that. I can see the plus here. Listen, <laughs> yes. baldness. The bald day. <laughs> Wouldn't that have happened already? Toothl- That's that, that would have happened already. Toothlessness. No, that comes Inco- later. Incontinence. That's already here. Yeah. That's already. All here. right. Well, there we are. Depends the, on how much diet coke I've had. There's the big advantage. Absolutely. Then. So, okay, so that's it. That's the big announcement. That's the big reveal. And I think maybe we want to talk with some with our listeners in the time that we have left in this segment. Do we have do, any time do we not, left? Do we not have any, um, like, fanfare or something? I think that's actually kind of a well, big we'll, deal. We'll play the Anfare um, because it's nice and warm here in my mother's shadow. And uh, she talked over it when she was on to announce her book, The Princeless Side. And, and I won't do the thing. Yeah, you don't, don't do the thing because there's a little sting at the end that we want you all to enjoy. Here goes. There she is. There, there she is. I didn't cool. talk over Kristen Dunst this time. But yes, congratulations, Thank Christopher. You. I'm very excited for you. I think this is really a great opportunity. And I really go to the link and order it. It's a great book. Yeah, absolutely. It's also short. It's like five pages, and most of them are pictures. No. Thank you, Eric Shawquin. <laughs> One of the true. things that we do about the show is that it is easier for us to toot the other's horn than it is to toot our own horn. Which sounds sort of nasty when you say it. We be tooting horns here on the dinner party show. Tooting each show. other's horns. Tooting that, each other's horns. Yeah, that sounds just... You make everything so weird. That's what I love about you," said the guy who wrote a book about vines possessed by an evil spirit. All right, the vines, forty-seven North Amazon Publishing releases October twenty-first. The link is posted on Facebook. Pre-order. We will give away some advanced readers' copies, but don't wait. But don't wait to pre-order, please. 
And uh, we are going to take a short break here on the Dinner Party Show. What? You're doing, and it's yeah. true that if you shop through the site, is that true? Or is it too soon to say that? Uh, it's too soon to say that. But we will say in general that if you shop through our site for other products at thedinnerpartyshow.com, we have I Am Pilgrim from guest uh, Terry Hayes. We have... Uh, pre-order links for the new novel from Marsha Clark will be here later. In supporting our store, you support the show, and we would like to encourage you to do that. Well, our show comes to you for free, and um, but Eric is very, very expensive. Yeah. So, so if you buy through, if you buy products through the site, we get a little commission on the sale, and it helps support the dinner party show and keep it free. So. Absolutely. So please, please, please. Help us with that. In the meantime, we're going to take a short break here, and then we'll be back with the last uh, segment, <laughs> the second segment. The highly anticipated second segment of... Of my interview with Terry Hayes, the author of I Am Pilgrim. And now, in keeping with the Dinner Party Show's connection to spiritual traditions from the world over, we've produced a dramatization of the classic essay by Catherine Merriweather on the nature of her personal connection to Jesus Christ. The essay is called... What's all that stuff in the sand? A couple nights ago, I dreamt that the Lord came to dinner at our beach house on Cape Cod. He had never been to the Cape before, so Douglas and I served him a delicious meal out on our back deck. Afterwards, the Lord and I sat alone, and when I looked down at the beach, I saw two sets of footprints. In my heart, I knew that one of them belonged to me, and the other belonged to my Lord and Savior. But every few yards or so, there was some kind of mess all over the sand. I didn't know what it was. It looked like some kids had gone crabbing in the middle of the night. I was so confused. I was tempted to ask the Lord what it meant, but he was playing Angry Birds on his iPhone, and I didn't want to be rude. But finally, I just couldn't take it. I said, Lord, I know in my heart those footprints along the sand belong to the two of us. I know this because you promised me that if I put my faith in you, Lord, you would walk with me always. Nobody said anything about us always being on the beach, but I hear you work in mysterious ways, so I'll just go with it. But my point is, every few yards or so, the footprints just go nuts. I mean, what is all that stuff in the sand? It looks like somebody drove a truck back and forth over the beach. And the Lord said, Oh, girl, where do I start? Uh, see that first patch there where it kind of looks like a figure eight that's been broken in half? That's where you thought it would be a good idea to stop taking the pill without telling your husband because you thought a kid was going to fix your marriage. And see the next patch where it looks like a bunch of birds got into a fight over a donut hidden under a sandcastle? That's the time when you got really lonely because the kid hadn't fixed it and you thought it would be a good idea to invite the gas man in for a glass of water one afternoon. Glass of water with stoli in it. I told the Lord I got the point, but he oh. kept going. And see that mess right there where it looks like someone was digging a trench down to the surf line before they got attacked by a shark? That's when you accused your husband of starting the fire in the backyard with one of his old parliaments, even though you knew your kid had been smoking weed out there with his friends the night before. Look, Catherine, you're right. I'm always walking with you, whether you see me or not. That means when you do something really stupid, I'm right there next to you. And since I'm not allowed to carry a frying pan down here, that means that I've got to use what I have at my disposal. So... 
If the footprints start to look a little weird to you, Catherine, it's because I tried my best to kick some sense into you. And that was the last time I ever interrupted the Lord while he was playing Angry Birds. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, where the soup is hot, but the heads are hot. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Just this past week, Janet Maslin of the New York Times gave a glowing review to the new thriller I Am Pilgrim by Terry Hayes. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Terry during his recent visit to Los Angeles. We discussed his critically acclaimed novel in front of an audience at Mysterious Galaxy Bookstore. I had to stay home. Apparently, I wasn't mysterious enough. Uh-huh. Here are some highlights of my conversation with accomplished screenwriter and critically acclaimed debut novel. Terry Hayes. You are on a whirlwind book tour. Actually, I saw an interviewer on television in Connecticut um, refer to it as a whirlwind book tour, (laughs) 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 which I guess it is because you flew, you live in Australia. Yeah, yeah, I live in Australia. So I I flew from there to LA for one night, had a rest, flew to Toronto, showed a film that that I made many years ago, hadn't seen since. Uh, I was telling Chris before we, we uh, came up here that um, there were quite a few hundred people in the audience, all of whom knew the film better than I did, and I wrote it, <laughs> and it was very intimidating um, because they all had an opinion about it, <laughs> but that, it was but, terrific. But were they, they were respectful for the most part, they were, they were uh, devoted fans of oh. the film? Oh, I mean, really debated. The, f- the film was Road Warrior or Mad Max 2, depending on where you were in the, uh, in the country when it, or in the world when it was released. And, um, oh, yeah, they, um, people keep telling me it's a cult classic. And uh, I, I don't know whether it is. Far be it from me. You never know it. quite whether that's a compliment or not. No. I think in this case it is, but with some movies it isn't. I've got to tell you, it was very, very um, disheartening when I, before I came on this tour because... I had a look at, you know, what the schedule was and that. And there's this guy who's been on the New York Times bestseller list at a very young age. He's been there a number of times. He's written a number of novels. And here he is. And uh, I thought, my God, there's a career. I, oh. I, no, it's true. I just got diverted. I wanted to be a novelist, but I ended up working in the movies. Well, th- let me ask you about that because Wikipedia, which we know is not always 100% accurate, says that you were working as a journalist and then you met the director, George Miller, because you were actually writing a novelization of the first Mad Max film. Is that true? People often ask me, I'd like to get into movies or I want to do this. Or, and I say to move to Australia <laughs> because you can meet anybody. <laughs> in America, you can spend your whole life trying to meet Clint Eastwood, and people do. Right. In Australia, no, you can just go into a coffee shop. What happened with the movie was very simply this. I was working as a, as a radio producer, and I met a book publisher, because the book publishers are always trying to get their clients onto current affairs radio shows. Sure, right. So I knew this guy, and he was always calling me up and saying, I've got this author, and I say, oh, yeah, another, another one of these boring writers, you know. <laughs> no, not fiction <laughs> that, that, that oh, no. Can't we have a movie star or <laughs> yeah. even a TV star or somebody? And that, so he said, um, he called me one day and he said, look, there's this guy that's directed a film. Well, he hasn't finished the film, but he's done a fair bit of it. And he needs some money. 
And I've told him that he can make some money by novelizing this film. And I said, oh yeah. And he said, I suggested you to write the novelization. I said, why would you do that? He said, well, because you're a journalist and I know you and I assume you must be able to write. Will you meet him? So I'd always wanted to be a novelist, but I had right. never thought of novelizing movies. In fact, I didn't even know people did that. I wasn't even sure people wrote movies. <laughs> that was how much I knew about it. And you've got to remember, there was no movie industry in Australia. None really. There had been and it died just after the war, after the Second World War. So this guy comes into my office, right? And he's got this sort of like shock of black curly hair. He's Greek by ethnic origin. And this is all nice. He's very engaging, mm -hmm. most charming smile. A really lovely man, but the concern is this. He's a medical doctor. Hmm. Now, who in their right mind would study all those years to become a medical doctor, and which is pretty lucrative, I mean, that's mm -hmm. a good job, and give it up to make a movie in Australia? I mean, you'd have to be nuts. Mm -hmm. So he's, I think, well, this guy, you know, this, there's something wrong here. <laughs> and he says to me, would you like to see the movie? And I thought, well, yeah, okay. So we go out to this house, and it's just a suburban house. It's not his girlfriend's house. It's the parents of a friend of his. And he's got a steam deck, an editing desk, a deck, you know, in the corner of their living room. And he's sleeping on the couch. Wow. And he's editing the film. So he shows it to me on the steam deck. You know, go jerk, 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 jerk. Well, he shows me a quarter of it. There's not much sound. I'm thinking, this is incomprehensible. <laughs> this is really incomprehensible. <laughs> so he said, but never mind, I'm now gonna show you this stuff on a TV screen. So that's what we did. We watched the rest of it on a black and white TV screen. He said, what do you think? And I said, I don't understand it. <laughs> he said, no. He said, it's, it's been less than successful. <laughs> so this is great. And he said, what do you think of the lead actor? I said, oh, yeah, yeah. Handsome guy. Right. Well, the, the movie was Mad Max. The handsome guy was Mel Gibson. I didn't recognise any star quality to him. Right. George kept editing it and re-editing it. And the director was George, George Miller. George Miller. Right. He goes on to win the Oscar. Right. For, you know, and nominated for a number of films and mm -hmm. done some really quite extraordinary work. But, but so what, when you went to that house that was owned by, what, his, his, the parents of his girlfriend or it something? Wasn't a girlfriend. I, right. it, it, that would have been okay. It was just some guy. But it was something seduced you in that moment, right? Was yeah. it George? Was it his personality? Or was it the idea that you, there was something that you could bring to that mess that you saw on the little editing bay? Um, it was George. Right. I, I'd never met anybody who was... I mean, journalism is, uh, you know, it's, it's an intellectually, I think, quite challenging thing at times right. in a certain group of people. And, and I'd been a foreign correspondent. I'd been sent by the paper to work in New York. I was 21. I'd been sent over and I covered Watergate and stuff right. like that. And I, and I, I met and, and worked with a lot of, you know, really quite talented people. So journalism has that element to it, but I'd never met anybody like George. Wow. Modest, um, you know, self-effacing, just incredibly curious 
about everything. Uh, something else that you said in an interview recently about this book is you were maybe a third of the way in when you realized that if it screwed up, there would be nobody else to blame. On a movie, you've always got somewhere to hide. Mm -hmm. You can always blame somebody. And we see that. I read the trades, you know, all the time. And people always say, oh, well, you know, of course, the studio didn't give it a decent release or we were right. unlucky that weekend that, you know, some monster film came out or this happened or that happened. You can always make an excuse. They'll blame snow on the East Coast. Yeah, They'll say right. nobody on the East Coast went to see the movie because it was snowing that, right. way too hard. Yeah, and, or too yeah. hot. Snow right. on the East Coast, too hot on the West Coast. Right. And that... <laughs> and that um, so... A third of, as Christopher says, a third of the way through the book, I suddenly realised, dear, 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 I'm in trouble now. Who am I going to blame? There's nobody. There's no composer. There's no cinematographer. There's no crazy actor. There's yeah. no director. It's just me. You do these things in this book so well that publishers discourage all writers from doing. And one of them is you tell this incredibly expansive but suspenseful story entirely in a first-person voice. Mm -hmm. Now, you use these journalistic tricks where you have Pilgrim has assembled documents and surveillance footage, so he's able to put the story together for you, but we never leave his voice. And it's amazing the amount of his life that you take us through in those opening chapters in just the blink of an eye and uh, without it ever slowing down. And I just I have to commend you for that Thank because you. it's exactly... If you said to an editor in publishing today, I'm going to write a globetrotting international thriller, but I'm only going to use one point of view, they would say, you must be crazy, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. They didn't get a chance to say I was crazy because I never asked them. Right, which I, is a great plan. Yeah, Don't ask. I, I, I wrote 250 pages. Right. When I was asked about the first-person approach, I said to them, look, I've read any number of espionage thrillers. It just happens to be my thing, you know, I like reading them. So I've read that. My theory is something you learn in movies. You've got to have product difference. Mm. I said, if I'm going out there writing a conventional espionage thriller, there's a whole lot of people doing that who I suspect may be better than me. So I've got to find a new way of telling the story. I've got to do something different. I tell my kids who are you know, quite young, but I tell them this. I say, you want a different result? Do something different. Right. You can't, you know. The, the, the definition of insanity is repeating the yeah, same action and expecting so, a different result. So, right. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So I thought I'm going to write it differently. I am going to be unabashed in this. To hear more of my interview with Terry Hayes, download the podcast of episode 78. You'll find it in our show archive at thedinnerpartyshow.com or on iTunes. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Let's dish! Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And we actually called this show Beach Reading, but I think we forgot that we called it that, but that is why we just played a song called Life's a Beach. That's right, and that's what I said in my on my tweet and on my I Facebook page today. I think I forgot today. to say that on my tweet and Facebook page today. Well, despite that fact, it's still all about beach reads, and we've got an author right here in the studio who has a book coming out next week. Marsha Clark is here. <laughs> She's nodding. And it's the perfect beach read. It's her latest Rachel Knight. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Latest installment in your Rachel Knight mystery series. Yes. The pre-order link for Barnes & Noble is up on our website at thedinnerpartyshow.com. Thank you very much. We encourage everyone to go there and buy the book. And and uh, this is the and fourth- And support the show. The fourth? Fourth. The fourth installment. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. Good. So Good. we're going to talk about what it is? We can talk about what it is. Yeah, absolutely. We don't have to. <laughs> yeah, no. No, let's talk about what it is. Oh, my God. Everybody wants to know. <laughs> Do you have something else you want to talk about, Marsha? <laughs> Not really. No. Hey, I'm, I'm open. I'd rather talk about the finger sandwiches in the lobby. <laughs> They're um, really looking good, too. Yeah. Well, okay. you know what you can do? You can do what I did. I had Eric read my plot synopsis, but but if you want to talk about you it. You brought your plot synopsis, hear, I'll be happy to read I, I it. I think that you, I, I have a sense that you're good at public speaking. I just feel like it's maybe in your past. Like <laughs> yeah, something I remember. I, I can't think quite why I think that. But. The Olympics, I think. Yeah, you were at the Olympics in 84. Okay, anyway. Yeah, um, I don't even have a plot synopsis, and I think that the one that really is this set. This book then, has no plot. This book has no what's plot. What's it called? <laughs> it's called The Competition. Okay. And what's it about? And, and it, here's the thing. I, I'm not sure it qualifies as a beach read, because what happened is... A couple of years ago, I, I got seized by, you know how something just bugs you and you have to understand it and you have to figure it out? And I got yes. seized by the, the Columbine shooting. Oh, oh yeah. It, way before Sandy Hook and all this stuff, yeah. I was just kind of obsessed with what makes a kid turn out like that? Right. And, right, and how does this happen? And why does it happen? And why don't we catch it sooner? And, right. you know, and how come nobody saw the signs? Totally. That, to me, was like the most compelling thing. Always. And really, were they bullied? Is that the whole story with them? Is that, you know, are they just victims of jocks and they had to go out and shoot everybody as a result and so I got into I researched it and and I had been studying the psychology of uh, psychopathy and sociopathy back when I was a DA mm-hmm. and and back in the 80s and I had my first serial killer case and, and I was puzzled then too like what makes someone like this it's so inhuman right and so I, I kind of like reinvigorated that research and then studied the Columbine shootings and then talked to shrinks and talked to a bunch of people I have to write about this because mm-hmm. um, I want to talk about and I think we should be talking about what it is that causes this because I think the the first line of defense um, is to diagnose these kids is to find Find who they are, figure out who they are, and then act accordingly. You mm-hmm. know, for example, the best example. So I finished actually writing the, the first draft. Mm-hmm. I'm interrupting myself. <laughs> I do that all it's the time. It's your story. <laughs> I, I guess I'm allowed to. Tell yeah. it anyway. <laughs> I, I'm riveted. I don't care. Interrupt away. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what happened is I wrote the whole first draft, and then Sandy Hook happened. And I was like, oh, oh my God, wow. maybe I shouldn't, you know, I should maybe right. just forget to write something else and don't do this. And then I thought, but maybe maybe it's important now, yeah. actually. Uh, maybe you're exactly the person to write it. I don't know. Yeah, or, yeah, or maybe know? this is the time and maybe right. we should all be talking about it and mm-hmm. writing about it and, you know, figuring this out totally. together. And and it does take a village, I mean, in this case, because there's going to be all kinds of people who have contact with kids who have a more objective point of view than the parents do. Right. And they know stuff, you know, school mm-hmm. counselors, teachers, you got it, and kids, you know, and friends. That neighbor who neighbor. saw that kid opening that storage unit just right. recently. Right, Like, exactly. I was like, oh my God, exactly. this is... Or that new division in um, Arizona, the, yeah. they call it MIST, the mental health oh, support yeah. team where they actually go out and yeah. like try and intervene before the fact with people who are having mental health crisis. Like, yeah, all of it. We need it all. Yes. We need it all. I mean, it's like, great, everybody can go talk about gun control and all the rest of it. There's are many, this is a puzzle with a lot of pieces to it, no question about it. Right, but the right, beginning right. of the of the answer has to be, let's find out who these kids are before they act out or, or do and do something about it. And there is actually um, a neuroscientist, Dr. Kent Keel, who has um, talked about the fact that there are studies and there are there are um, 
actual uh, programs now that can catch these kids and, and help them young and actually therapize them out of becoming dangerous to society. So there's actually hope for these kids now Good. that there right. didn't used to be. Right. Let me, so, let me ask you something about your research. Did you read a book about Columbine by the author Dave Cullen? Yes. Yeah. Now, he took something like, I don't know, seven or eight years to write that book, which in publishing is like a no-no. If you're going to write a true crime book, they want it out while right. the crime is still fresh. Right. Sorry to put it that bluntly. Um, and he said in that book that everything you will ever hear about every rampage shooting in the first two weeks will be wrong. Yep. That everything that we believe to be true about the Columbine shooters, and stop me if I'm getting ahead of your, your pitch here, was in fact not really true. Yeah. They weren't actually very bullied. No. They had friends. They were. They had a social grouping. They weren't, you know, it was this very simple narrative that came together very quickly that, that uh, I guess assuaged people's own resentments about high school. Yes. You know, including yes. mine, because well, I, I went there with it right away. Right, didn't we all? I mean, yeah. everybody had that experience of feeling um, less than and feeling different than and feeling right. bullied or even not bullied, but ostracized or isolated. It's a typical aspect of, of high school psychology. It's a high school experience, so we all have that, and everybody relates. Well, the, the bad news about that and, and the reason it took hold the way it did for Columbine is that's simple to understand. You mm-hmm. understand a kid who Easy got narrative. bullied. Right. right? Easy the narrative. narrative fallacy, we get right? it. Yeah. Well, and we can do something about it. We can stop the bullying. Right. Hey, easy. That's yeah. a great solution. Except it's not true. Mm-hmm. It, not, it wasn't true at all. And neither one of them. we should still stop the bullying. Oh, there's no question yeah, about sure, that. Right. Of course. But, of course. But yeah, but, but it's not going to That's not the answer. The yeah. It wasn't the answer for Columbine. Neither one was bullied, as a matter of fact. And and one of them, and I, I really don't like using their names, and that's one of the things that um, I've, I've been writing about and talking about is stop publicizing the names yes, of these shooters. absolutely. Because I think an aspect to them, and one of the things I talk about in the book in the course of this novel is they want the publicity. They think about going out in a blaze of glory. Mm-hmm. They want to be famous. Right. And the fact that they're going to be dead doesn't matter to them. Mm-hmm. Life doesn't matter to them. Not yours and not theirs. Mm-hmm. So it's not a, It's not like, you know, it's not going to deter them to know that they're not going to be around to enjoy that glory. And so the less we advertise the names, the better off totally. we'll be. So that's one thing that we can yeah. do. Yes, right, right. But as, but as for, you know, being bullied and all the rest of that and all those tropes that everybody kind of relied on, they're not true. Mm-hmm. And I found out a great deal more about it as well as I, as I researched and talked to therapists and read books about them that number one the number one thing about these guys is they all do plan they all engage in fantasizing as they plan they write they keep journals that they keep hidden and mm-hmm. that's why people don't know. You know they know enough they're not mentally ill they're disordered and there's a difference because a disordered right. person can have problems but knows what right from wrong is knows how to hide what they're doing and knows that they need to hide what they're doing and so they can do get away you, with it is there more hope of stopping a disordered person than there would be a mentally ill person is there more hope of reasoning with a disordered person No, not necessarily. I know, right? The problem is they don't think they need any help. Narcissist, psychopath, sociopath, they don't feel they need help. They think you're a weakling. Like one of the things that they pointed out with the Santa Barbara, uh, horrible, that horrible situation, uh, the campus there, that that kid, that when the police went, he, if they had actually gone into his room, they would have found all of the evidence that they needed of what he was planning. So like, here's what happened, and here's the, here's the, here's the thing. I mean, I mean, I, I think that knowledge is everything, education is everything, and I, that that's why I pushed forward with the book and said I'm going to do it anyway. I've learned all this. There's all this research, and I put it all into the book, and had Rachel actually consulting with 
um, shrinkers throughout the whole thing to profile who are these kids, how do we find them, and in the course of that, I'm telling you, you mm-hmm. know, what the research has shown. Mm-hmm. In the case of the Santa Barbara shooter, um, the mother, somebody tipped the mother, I don't remember exactly how she found out about the YouTube video, if you guys right. have seen it. Right, Horrifying thing. Horrifying. So she saw the video and she called the police and said, go get him. That, that, you know, this is dangerous, and, and I think they thought that he was going to kill himself. They didn't think he was going to kill others. Nevertheless, the police show up, and, and having been told about the video, they go and they talk to the kid. The kid knows how to act. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Nothing's wrong. It's okay. And they walk away. Mm-hmm. They don't even look at the video before they go and see him. And had they looked at the video, there would have been an immediate search. I mean, a, a massacre would have been stopped. Right, uh, That right. makes me crazy every time I think about it, that, yeah. you know... It was right yeah. there. Yeah, but absolutely. it is—it's evolving the way in which we respond to these people, and part of it is about staying away from simple narrative, which yeah. I think is really—I I think is really a detriment to a lot of news reporting. People yeah. come up with the easy story that they want to tell yeah. about something, and then you can't get them to change yeah. when the facts come in. Yeah, it, and it's about instant gratification. True. It's about having the headline right away. And, and, and it's yeah. sometimes you just don't know the story right away. Right. You this, don't know why. Yeah. You may know what, but yeah. you don't know why. Yeah. And to speculate beyond, before you know what's going on is what causes the problem. And it's what caused the problem in Columbine because that story got traction about them being bullied right, and right. all that stuff. Yeah. And stayed that way for years. even made the movie. Oh, didn't yeah. He? yeah. It, stays, it, was... it seeps into the consciousness. Yes. It's what people call a narrative so, fallacy. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yes. So, Marsha, is Rachel investigating a particular incident? Yes. Or is she just yes. looking at so? Oh no no she's investigated there there is a massive school shooting and um they they find two kids dead in the library and it looks like this is a, a copycat of Columbine they find two kids dead in the library and they first believe that those are the shooters and they come to find out they're not and it's oh. set up mm. and the shooters are actually at large mm. and they have to find the shooters That's wow Ex- yeah. excellent so, from a suspense point of, of view <laughs> but we're sort of blending the two yeah, topics here it's kind here. of harrowing so that's yeah. what they do and that's why they bring shrinks on board because they've never had to investigate a case like this the motives are too bizarre. They're not like anything else. It's kind of like a serial killer. You know, you don't understand why, because who would do this? You know? Yeah. I remember when I did research, I was going to write a novel about serial killers, and it ultimately evolved past that, but I was researching forensic science around serial killers, and a lot of what people said, or were beginning to say, is that we were very limited by the idea that the only samples we could research were the serial killers who wanted to engage with law enforcement. That classic setup we see all the time. He's got a nickname. He's sending trophies. <laughs> yep. But there, there was a whole class of serial killers out there who had no interest in fucking with the police, excuse my language, exactly. and they were getting away with crimes all the time. Excuse <laughs> your language? Too late. You shouldn't say fucking police in the same sentence, oh, but okay. you may, we should have a little separation rule. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> yeah, rules, that's going to work. Yeah, rules here on the Dinner Party Show. Yeah. Anyway, the, the and so we were limited in, in our thinking about them, and, and, and those stereotypes permeated Hollywood, yep. and then Hollywood a- amplifies yeah. them into, into the minds of the audience, and, and the audience is who's turning on the news and expecting to see a certain three stories all the time. It's absolutely true, Chris. And it's really interesting to me. Hollywood has really glorified the genius psychopath, the genius serial killer. Mm -hmm. He outsmarts all the police. Right. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, bullshit. It almost drives me crazy. (laughs) Really? Yes. I I ended up uh, losing. I, I started in as a fan of... What was Kevin's show? The following. The following. Yeah. I started oh, yeah. this fan, but it reached a point where it was like, well, all right, I just can't do it's this abs- anymore. It's just too absurd. It's right. just, it just too, gets, like, the, right. the police are just not this stupid. Yeah. They just... <laughs> 
the, the country would just implode you know, if, if right. public officials were really right. And, right. and the psychopaths are not that smart. Yes, the yeah. psychopaths you know, are I mean, not that that's brilliant. Right, yeah. exactly. You know, so the, we don't. What what makes it hard to catch them is they don't act on motives that are understandable or or a, you can't logic your way through their motives. So right, they right. strike at random. They strike on impulse. But that's the kind of killer that's hard to catch. It's not that they're so smart. <laughs> yes, know? right. Yes. It's that they're so like completely random that there's no pattern to is, identify. Do you them think with. it's safe to say that most murders or most homicides are acts of sort of drunken rage slash desperation? Like they're almost crimes that are sloppy. Not to mitigate the loss of life with with that word, but you know, like I remember things changing for how I perceived law enforcement when I finally watched that show, The First Forty Eight, mm-hmm. which is basically I think it's on the Learning Channel or something like that, and it just follows a murder investigation. And the, I guess the, it's because if they don't solve it in the first forty eight, they're not going to solve it. That's usually what they say. Yeah. If they don't have a suspect. Yeah. But what the show proves is that it's often very easy to solve it in oh, the first forty eight. I got to tell you, that's the funny thing about working in the criminal justice system is you know people say, oh, you must get all your stories that you write in your novels. You know, from there. I, oh, I wish. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but no, the truth of the matter is the typical run of the mill case, and I mean ninety nine percent of the cases I have are and I'm still uh, and I'm still handling are so boring and so simple and mm-hmm. ridiculous you know Chewy shoots uh, Johnny in the in the liquor store cuz Johnny has um his his uh, Walkman yeah. or whatever. I right. dated myself. <laughs> Walkman. Oh my God. Nobody has a Walkman anymore. Walkman. Oh, wow. Is a disc man. Is yeah. Boombox. Oh right. dear God. 2008 is not I even know. never mind. So, you know, but but I mean, they're all like that. They're really, yeah. really dumb and they're one, two, three step crimes. Mm-hmm. So when you get something that's more complex, something that has, you know, a lot more to it, it becomes a much more difficult thing. And one of the things that makes it have more to it is when you have a motive that's not explicable. It, you know, typically, you know, most crimes involve either um, rival gangs or mm. you're, you're uh, somebody you know, a, hoist, a, a husband or, a, you know, a wife yeah, or something yeah, yeah. like that. That's what a friend of mine, a writer friend said that the Houston police had said the way to not get murdered is to not either cheat or sleep with somebody else's spouse in Houston. <laughs> if you didn't do either of those things, you, were put, you had a fighting chance of not getting shot. <laughs> Well, I think that's pretty good advice, even if guns aren't I think involved. That's great advice. I do. I do. So anyway, that's that's what the competition is about, and it was it was just one of those. I thought, you know, this is a tough subject, and then unfortunately, Sandy Hook happened, and mm-hmm. now so many, and and then after that, one after another after another, we wound something up something like seventy five so far this year or well, something or since Sandy Hook. Like unbelievable. it's unbelievable. But it really it is. weekly. It really is. I, I, it sounds like you went through the same thing that most. Most people who are in favor of gun control go through, which is that w- the window of when we were asked not to talk about it, it's too soon. It was all, it just kept coming. It was yeah. always too soon. It was always too from soon from the last shooting. And I finally lost it on Facebook one day, and I said, "How many more children have to die right. before we're allowed to talk about this subject?" You know. But I think you're right. I think the other thing we're talking about is this unwillingness to adopt a multi-prong approach to anything. It needs to be either this or it needs to be that. Yeah. Like, the, God forbid, yeah. we try everything to stop something. That's this big a problem. That's this big, yeah, and a continuing ongoing problem. And to me, you know, people love to vilify the parents. How could the parents not know? How could they blah, blah, blah? Okay, you know what? It's really easy not to know. Um, Barbara Walters did the interview of of the Santa Barbara shooter's father, and he's he's a 
normal guy. He's a good guy. And he was in touch with his son. And he was trying to keep on top of things. But these guys know how to hide what they're doing. Mm -hmm. you know, they're not stupid, necessarily. Right. I mean, they don't have to be a genius just not to say to Dad, I want to go shoot Mommy, you know? That's, right. I mean, that they don't talk about it. And so you can see that here's, here's the thing that I, I was, to me, like one of the key issues is you can see that your son, for example, is antisocial. He's reclusive. He doesn't have a lot of friends. He's not a very happy kid. But how do you how do you draw the equation from that to mass murder? Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you make that leap? How do you say, okay, well, my kid isn't getting along with friends very well, therefore I have to go search his room for guns and you know and watch out Read on his YouTube diary for plans to right, right. kill everybody at school or whatever. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's nobody wants to think that of their own child, and it's not anybody's first thought. No, and it adds and to the yeah. roster of terrible fears parents have already. Oh, they yeah. already want to search the room for drugs all the time. I'm right. sure. Right. Yeah, I, and I, the teenagers are already lying, secretive little bastards. I know. So. Hey, right? they all are though. You, right. They I all was. Are. I was too. I, I, I was all right. I was a little <laughs> evasive. Um, you know, though, the other thing that it made me think of is, um, oh, the thought just went out of my head. We were, oh, yeah, I finally realized when we were all attached to that narrative about Columbine and, and school shooters were all bullied victims, it was like, I know a lot of bullying victims who did not shoot up their Amen. school. Amen. And there you go. You know, like, there you I'm go. one, you're one. Right. We were bullied like, in right. various ways. Right. And, 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 we, and so there's something else there that needs to be examined. You know, it's, it's yes. not not the it's not you know we're not the control group it's yeah no exactly and here's the thing i mean people were looking at the the santa barbara shooter and he was complaining whining on the video about women who would not sleep with him right you know look at me i'm gorgeous and women won't sleep with me and and as though that is actually a reason it's not a reason he would have found something else uh, right if it hadn't Thank been you. that that's right? it that's it <laughs> yeah. i almost that, that's what i've come to believe from reading mountains of crime fiction and from having friends like you who know what they're talking about that a psychopath or somebody with homicidal urges will find any excuse to act on exactly them. that in in this country you may become a terrorist because it gives you license to murder in this country you may become a domestic terrorist and say you're all about the flag you know yeah. or it's just abortion right yeah exactly which i think it's often okay for goes me to way. kill doctors because right. i'm trying to save lives like okay yeah. I'm, I'm not sure how that works exactly yeah. but like there are people who have an overpowering urge to kill other people right. and there are people who don't exactly and, and they're to, just looking for yeah. an excuse to and kill there will, other people yes and if it's not this it'll be that right and, you know so i saw too many blue cars today oh that's it you know and right the the other thing is to empower the parents mm -hmm. like you had uh, um the the shooter in um sandy hook is a good example his mom was on top of things and she was actually trying to handle it she did right. it misguided in a misguided way but, he, he but was she also, was trying oh sandy hook i'm sorry sandy yeah i was hook. gonna say the santa barbara shooter was college age but but no. but yeah sandy hook we're talking about sandy a very hook. young man yeah, yeah. He, he was, was living he, in the house yeah, he was living in the house well actually he was 19 Mm -hmm. He was, but you know, he had lived at home and been homeschooled for such a long time. Right. And and she was, she knew he had a problem, yeah. and he was diagnosed with Asperger's. Yes. Um, as was the Santa Barbara shooter, and I do think that there's, a, it's not an alarming coincidence that both got Asperger's diagnoses. I think therapists are afraid to give the psychopath label. It's mm -hmm. such a dire diagnosis, and and Asperger's can share some characteristics. In other, Asperger's, by the way, is not associated with violent conduct, right. and that's why it's really bad that they did that because an Asperger's diagnosis does not make you worry about guns, etc. Yeah. But, you know, it's a, it's a misdiagnosis in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But in Sandy Hook, she tried to engage with him in the way that she was advised to engage. They say Asperger's kids have a tendency to have narrow focus on what they're interested in. One thing. Right, They'll right. get really obsessed. His one thing was guns. Right. Okay, <laughs> yeah. right? So she right. buys him right. guns. She buys herself guns. She takes him shooting 
in order to try and relate to him because that's what they told her to do. Right. Okay, that was the wrong thing to tell her. Yeah. I mean, of all things for how to, to have him do, right. but that's... You need therapists to be honest and and, and, call, right. and think about the whole range of possibilities, Absolutely. not just the most benign. Marsha Clark, you make me wish we still did a two-hour show. I have one we, last question. One I know it's going to infringe on our minute. final time, but okay, so why is it called the competition? Because the shooters in that case are trying to outdo all other shooters. And there ah, we are. Which so they do. The competition. Which they do. The competition. It's on sale next week. Yes. And we have pre order links for Barnes and Noble and I believe iBooks up at the dinnerpartyshow.com. We love having you here. Well, it's I love always being great. Here. The party people so love you and they I'm, love your voice, I'm hearing. They love oh. hearing you talk and we hope you'll come back very soon. Of course. We'll I love you. you guys so much. You can I move into it. the lead. You will beat out Alec Mappa and Ann Rice as our most frequent guests. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I live for the that frequent diners club. <laughs> Excellent. The frequent diners. Oh, do I get miles? Okay. Yes, you'll right. get <laughs> We'll put you we'll make you part of our rewards program here on the dinner party show. We'll be back in just a minute. In the meantime, here is a word from one of our sponsors. Are you the child of a celebrity who hopes to someday cut a seven-figure book deal for your tell-all memoir? But are you worried that you didn't suffer enough abuse growing up to justify such a fat cash advance? Well then, it's time for you to call a drug dealer. That's right. Drug dealers are standing by in every city on the planet, ready to introduce a level of literary conflict into your life of unbelievable privilege. If your famous parents didn't lock you in a closet when you were three, try hitting the pipe today. That should provide you with a few chapters of hardship that will break the monotony of suffering through private school and beach vacations in the south of France. Drug dealers are ready and willing to explain to you how their product isn't really that addictive if you're in the right frame of mind. And they're often more than willing to introduce you to one of their smoking hot clients who will marry you and then take you for all you're worth as they service their addiction providing you, in the process, with all the intrigue and drama you need to distract New York publishers from the fact that you're a navel-gazing spoiled brat. Because if you're an inner-city black person, it's just another crack habit. But when you're the child of a celebrity, it's publishing gold. Drug dealers, they'll make you the star of your own memoir. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, where dessert is the most important meal of the day. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Well, we have to tell our party people we are going on a bit of a vacation, but we're going to have offerings for you the entire time. There will be something at showtime Every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, there will be new programming, new content. We'll mm -hmm. be premiering exciting videos on the site. Shea Butters will be your cruise director and keep you posted. There'll be competitions and giveaways, there weekly will flash be. giveaways. We will do a weekly flash giveaway, which is uh, exactly like the giveaways you've seen my mother do on her Facebook page, where you will be asked answers to fun questions, and the winners will be voted by likes, and Shea Butters will pick some winners. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. You're going to win stuff. That's all that really matters. And we'll also be having some some original programming while we're on hiatus. We'll have some greatest hits shows from uh, Jordan and Ampersand, Breck Artery, and Joan Sands. Specials will be um, will be with original with new introductions and. Yeah. And such. But yeah, some of our favorites. Next week, we'll be starting off with uh, Jonelle Sam's Live from Poison Creek premiere, 4th of July special. Absolutely. So there'll be something fun to listen to on our player at Showtime, and there will be lots of fun things to do and see on our Facebook page at our regular Showtime. 
And then after September 7th, we will be back for what I hope will be a very busy fall. Well, I know it's going to be a very busy fall. Prince Lestat is coming out. The Vines is coming out. You might finish that book of yours. <laughs> I'm going to reach over there and hit you. I finished that Eric book of mine. Eric has finished his book, and he's so getting yeah, notes on, on it. On and my, we're working on, on my murder mystery. Anyway, but we want... we um, More details as that develops. We absolutely need a little break, and 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 maybe you do too. <laughs> well, it's summer, so we're going to have it's the summer. Sum, we're calling it the summer vacation series. There right, be summer encore specials and summer specials. Yeah, it's very special, just it's like all everything very special else, and very summer, and very and we love all of you, our party people. We're almost at two years. We're at eighty shows. The tonight was show eighty. I can't believe it. It seems like just yesterday we were trying to figure out what the fuck soundproofing was and how it worked and <laughs> where this wire was going to go. How and we were going to get this Was Eric going to throw that person into traffic? <laughs> anyway, um, so I didn't leave us. Oh, we need to close out with some zombie haiku. Let's. Let, let, this is from party person Sumiko Salson. Let's hear a little piece of zombie haiku. Toothache is gone now. My jaw fell off completely eating my dentist. And That's my favorite. And one's never enough, so let's go for two. Here's Samiko Salson with another piece of zombie haiku. Empty street, man alone, bottle rocket launcher raised. I lurch by slowly. I think maybe one more. Can we fit one more? <laughs> let's do one more one more zombie haiku from Samiko Salson. The look in your eyes, mm. deeply passionate lips, eaten by maggots. <laughs> Ew. Zombie haiku. Too far. Thank you. When we come back, hopefully we'll have some more zombie haiku from Samiko Salson on our party line. Absolutely. Here's hoping. Until then, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And my final thought is, wear sunscreen. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. I'd be to a marvelous party.